Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who, like last week's guest, has just released his own fragrance. <laughs> it's Richard Herring. I did it. I did the joke. <laughs> I did the joke. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Richard. <laughs> Hold on. Of because uh, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, I know what it is. Of Richard Herring's long strung. <sighs> Would have been better not reading it. Welcome to another episode of Richard Herring's long strung tongue po- podcast. <laughs> It's, uh, it's every week the guests are going to have a longer tongue and it's going to be see which celebrity has the longest but also the strongest tongue. There will be a variety of uh, tongue strength tests. <laughs> but uh, I was under the dock with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John <laughs> the other day and they said if I would agree to leave them alone to make out that they would call it Rehalastopus. I don't know if that's going to... But I stayed and watched anyway and nothing happened. John Travolta's making it up, I tell you. So, um, last week, guest uh, Richard E. Grant, I don't know if you uh, were here for that one. Yeah, yeah, sorry, you missed him. Um, he has, um, he's brought out his own uh, fragrance called Jack, and he accidentally left this behind. He didn't give it to me. I think if that's 95 quid for that, that is fucking taking the piss. <laughs> Look at the size of that. I thought you'd get a fucking two-litre bottle, like a, like a diet Pepsi. For 95, you expected more than that, wouldn't you, Andy? Yeah. I've got some on. Shall I? I'll, I'll waft it at these people here, see if they're like it. It's Rina. Oh, look, you want. Yeah. This is like Richard E. Grant's personal stash. <laughs> what do you think? It's nice, isn't it? Gonna keep that. <laughs> I mean, like, we could. I know I could get it back to his agent really easily, but he's got loads of the fucking stuff, hasn't it? It's not, it doesn't cost him 95 quid, does he? He gets it for free. Uh, so thank you for that, Richard E. Grant. I don't think it was a deliberate gift, but I will accept it anyway. <laughs> I hope this week's guest has brought me as lovely uh, a gift as well. Uh, she is probably best known as Montana Mounds <laughs> in Footballers' Wives TV. Don't know what that is. Let's find out. Will you please welcome the amazing Tiff Stevenson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome. How are you doing? Look at that Prosecco. I'm evidence. good. <laughs> Look at all of this merch. I know, it's, it's wow. insane. Wow, there's stickers, there's everything. I just said to um, Richard E. Grant backstage that he'd come out and been really funny and charming and that wasn't his job and it was a bit of a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the professional funny person. I'm not sure, do you think he took it okay? I think he was all right. Fine, yeah. he okay. Seemed to, he seemed to just about ride the storm of me being rude to him for an hour. <laughs> And <laughs> gave as good as he got. I think he was. I think he enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked like he was hurt. He, he loved, loved it. it. He loved it. <laughs> Dapper laughs is in the crowd. <laughs> was he also moist <laughs> with his own fragrance? Yeah. Um, nice the fragrance, isn't it? It's not. It's got marijuana I d- I in it. I didn't smell it. Can I have a? Yeah. Well, it's, I don't. I think it's probably about ten quid a spray, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, Are you so going to charge? Take I'll, it out I'll of take me. It, I'll take it out. Yeah. <laughs> And that's his personal one as well. I mean, it's bold. I put it straight on my wrist. Oh, it's nice. It's it is manly. Nice. Well, it is a bit it's manly. Uni, it's for unisex. Me. It's unisex. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit too tobacco-y for. A... I mean, women smoke, sure. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite mannish for okay. me. 
Oh. But it's got some citrusy notes, which I do like. I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start buying it and wearing it around. Just get, when well, you waft into a room, yeah. everyone's, there's herring. <laughs> <laughs> Smelling of marijuana again. <laughs> <laughs> um. Nice. So what was, football, everyone knows you from it, Footballers Wives <laughs> TV. Was that, was that not Footballers Wives? Is it, it wasn't Footballers Wives. It, Footballers Wives TV was a spin-off. And I'm surprised they allowed you know, uh, I think it was Shed Productions to make it, because Shed Productions made Footballer's Wife, Wives, Wife, <laughs> that would have been a different show. Um, <laughs> just a documentary following Victoria Beckham. No, it, it, it was, um, they made Footballer's Wives, and this was like a piss take of Footballer's Wives, made by the people that made Footballer's Wives. So it was kind of like a daytime TV, sort of Richard and Judy, <gasps> imagine, imagine making a show like that, a spoof Richard and Judy show. Um, <laughs> So it was kind of like a spoof daytime TV show where God, there were lots of people in it. I feel like um, Catherine... God, I was going to say Catherine Parkinson, but it's not Catherine Parkinson. There was a few... Uh, Matt Green was also in it. So it had, like, the usual experts you would get in daytime TV. And I played a character called Montana Mounds, who was like a plastic surgery obsessive. And I was doing a... <laughs> a sponsored... We came up with this. It's so stupid. A sponsored fun run to, I'd had a boob job, but I could only afford to get one done. <laughs> so I was trying to raise the money for the other tier. That was the, <laughs> that was the joke. So I had like one massive boob. <laughs> and I sat on this sofa being interviewed. And then one of the other ones had my entire face marked up for plastic surgery with the signature of the surgeon on it. Cause it was like the whole point of surgery is that people know you've had it done. You know, I want everyone to know I'm having a Clive Eastwood. And this was so ahead of its time because that's basically what the Kardashians do now. They just put their Instagram videos up when they're going in having hamsters piss shot into their lips and broadcast it to the world. So it's actually, it was very ahead of its time. It was. Too, I mean, too ahead of its time, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I was watching, I rewatched The Office the other day, oh, the yeah. whole the sitcom The Office, and I was surprised to see little Tiff Stevenson pop up in there. I know. Because I don't think the last time I watched it, I didn't know you. So I must have watched it a long time ago, and then there you were. I was so young and skinny. <laughs> and, um, oh, I remember... Uh, here's a great story about this that I can share. Because um, I've worked with Ash Ashtiller since, so hopefully he'll hire me again. But originally I auditioned for a different part in that. This happens to me a lot. I go in and they go, she's good, but... Mm, uh, um, <laughs> We don't see her as that, so then I go back and do something else. So I originally auditioned, I think the character was called Donna, played by Sally Breton. Oh, yeah. And Sally and I used to go up for a lot of the same parts. She doesn't know it, but I fucking hate her. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. She's lovely and she's really talented. I, I mean, that much more talented than me? I don't know. Um, it's a matter of opinion. No, we used to go up for a lot of the same jobs. Um, and she had dark hair at the time. I was blonde because I've mainly been blonde. Um, but uh, so there was a few. There was another show called Absolute Power, which I think I auditioned for. And she got the part and then I did an episode. So she was, the, she was definitely the bride and I was sort of the bridesmaid in these scenarios. But who's winning now? Who's in Leicester Square Theatre on this podcast now, Sally? Exactly. Me. Um, so, yeah. So I think originally I went out for the part of Donna. Um, did a good audition. They were like, Do you, they just offered me this other part. And my agent at the time, I used to be with this woman called Janet Malone. And she spoke like this. And I remember she used to call me up about auditions and say, darling, what is it that you're doing? <laughs> what is it you want? 
want to do because you're doing an acting. <laughs> an acting. You're doing an acting, but you're, also, you're writing now. Do you want to do stand-up comedy? I don't understand, darling. Also, drop the double-barreled name because everyone thinks you're well-to-do and you're fucking not. Um, so, yeah, so that was... So, originally, she said, we don't take this part. It's too small, you know, and look, the small roles, that's all you'll ever be offered, so don't do it. Um, and I went, oh, I think the script's really funny and I sort of want to do... I think this is going to be a phenomenon. And I was right and then I think I earned more money than <laughs> than I've ever earned from doing anything else I mean it was such a short period of time um, but I would get these were back in the days you'd get residual checks in the post and once a check turned up for about 10 grand and I nearly fainted <laughs> like just out of the blue like I don't think I, I wouldn't have got paid anywhere near that to do the show so uh, you know it was um, it was great in lots of ways but originally they asked me to do a scene this was the story that I should that I don't know if I'm allowed to tell but I'm going to um, is that on set they wanted someone they wanted like Ralph Innocent's character uh, who, who played Finchie mm -hmm. they wanted him to bang someone over a car bonnet and I was so young when I did this show I was, I'm probably about like 20, 21 and so they came over to me like Ash and some of the other producers and they went so we just think it'd be really funny if he like fucks you over a car bonnet <laughs> and I went I don't think so so I was doing the snogging scene, and I was like, I don't think so. No, I, I, I don't want to do that. It's not in the script, and so no. And then where I got the courage to say that, and then they literally went along to the next actress <laughs> and went, do you want to be banged over a car bonnet? And, and she went, no. Like, so it was, sorry. like, it wasn't like my acting was so amazing she could really take a rogering on a car bonnet. She was like, she's got the skills for it. So, um, so that was a little moment where I, I, like, stood up for myself, and I was quite proud at the time. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, well, you, so you were sort of started out as, a, as an actor before you became a stand-up? Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen you in... I'm, I'm sort of still doing it, so that's awkward. Um... <laughs> I mean, but you were just an actor before you yes, became a stand-up. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, you were in a Dizzy Rascal video. I didn't know that either. I found that today. <laughs> Dirty Cash. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my friend Wiz. I mean, I got, music video directors have stupid names. Know that, like, you know, Spike or Wiz, or Squid. I mean, that's, they're, they're not real names. And he just asked, would I come and do this video? And he was going to put suffragettes in it, and it was, they were going to be have Karl Marx's ashes and all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff, which they do. And it was, it was a remake of Dirty, Dirty Cash, the Stevie G song. You know, the one that goes, money talks. And then I had to lip sync, because I didn't get to sing, even though I can, which is annoying. Um, so I had to sort of lip sync and lead this parade going through the streets while while Dizzy sort of danced around amongst us and there was someone dressed up as representing capitalism, it was Ronald McDonald. I'd, I'd, I, I feel like the director's vision was confused. <laughs> um, but it was cool. It was cool to be in, in the video. Yeah. I was, I'm very, very excited to know you in the office. Were Dizzy Rascal. I didn't know these things about you when I met you. Yeah, I just sort of... You kept them secret. Yeah, I should I should start opening with it at gigs. Yeah, <laughs> should put from the office on your, <laughs> on your face. You wouldn't believe how much that is. I I was just in LA and uh, this happened to me. So they because the office just ends up being the one thing on your CV, and I'm like, it's the smallest thing I've ever done. So people always bring it up, and I was at the Improv in LA, and Craig Robinson was there, who's in the American Office, um, and who's who also plays the Pontiac. Bandit in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, 
which is, yes, that's my favourite character of his. But someone introduced us backstage, like, well, not backstage, it's just a bit you sit up the back and went, this is Tiff, she was in the UK office and you're in the American office. And he's like, hey, and he's like, do you sing? And I was like, yeah, a bit. And he's like, what, you, what do you sing? And I was like, oh, I do this thing where I, I do Stevie Nicks turning into Cartman. <laughs> and he's like, cool. And then he got up on stage, and he did like 15 minutes, and so he was like, Tiff Stevenson's here. And you could tell, like, literally not a single person in the audience at the improv. I was like, this is excruciating. She's in the UK office, and then he got me up to sing with him. And that was, that's one of those things where you go, this would only happen in LA, this is batshit. Do the Cartman thing now. I want to hear it. You know, okay. All right. Um, okay. Now here you go again. You say you want your freedom, but who am I to bring you down? It's only right that you should lean away you feel. <laughs> Have you any dreams you'd like to share? Dreams of loneliness, <laughs> like a happy dreams you made. And the stillness of remembering what you have, and what you lost, and what you have, and what you know. <laughs> You're right, you are a good singer. It's, so, it's such a stupid thing. And <laughs> it's so stupid, but I, I used to preface it with a whole bit about how like, she had quite a rock and roll <laughs> lifestyle while she was in. And I think that's what did it, you know, because there's all kinds of rumours around, <laughs> um, around, around what they used to get up to at that time. I mean, if I could go back to a period in time, I'd like to be in that sort of dressing room just when like Stevie Nicks was with Don Henley from the Eagles, when it was all kind of like, and that fleet would, that moment I think would be, you'd love to be a fly on the wall. Not a fly, you'd get swatted. Just be in the room. <laughs> just be there. Just be in the room, yeah, like, as a what human. What are you doing here? Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that flies all right, we're not worried about that fly there. Back to the state. So you, one of the first stand-up things you did, was it, well, you started doing stand-up in, sort of in the 2000s, right? About 2006. Yeah, because I met you around about that time. Um, but you did... Well, it was a bit after that. Then Show Me the Funny, was that sort of about... That 2011. Yeah, so you Can't been... believe it doesn't instantly come up for you, Rich. Yeah, so I should remember. It seems a landmark like moment. It's, 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 so there was a, 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 a talent show uh, of comedians, basically. Do you yeah. Remember, do people remember this? Yeah. That guy does, yeah. One person, one that person. is. And one person very damning for ITV. Um, yeah, 2000, we all auditioned for it. I mean, it was kind of like mad at the time. Like there were a lot of people who went up for it. And then there was a weird thing of like, it looked like I might be the only woman in the car. And I was like, I don't want to do it if I'm the only woman. Um, and at the time I just sort of saw it as a, a fun challenge, a thing to, to sort of, you know, and then I heard comedians, other comedians talking about it, and that's a bit devastating when you hear people's opinions of like, why would you do that, you know? And I was like, you don't know what other opportunities I was getting offered at the time. <laughs> so like I chose to do a thing that I thought I would do quite well on. So, um, but it was, it was sort of crazy. I feel like it was a shame because it was a missed opportunity in that they didn't know what the show was. It was sort of half The Apprentice. It was sort of a bit like X Factor, but it wasn't really because all the comics were pro comics and the one mistake they made, I think, 
was never showing any of the comics being good before they introduced us. But genuinely, these were all people who made a living doing stand-up, maybe with the exception of Ellie, it might have only been going six months, maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Ellie Ellie was like really new at that point and did really well on the show. But I think like, or maybe she'd been doing it a year, but mostly everyone on it was making money from doing stand-up. And what they could have done was gone, these are why we picked these 10 comics and showed like a couple of minutes of everyone doing really well, just to get the goodwill in the room, you know, we'd, you, you need a couple of laughs early doors, yeah. as we saw. So, you know, you just need that to get everyone behind it. And so I felt like, are there still people who watch that, who come to my tour shows and stuff, and I'm very grateful for them and... I, I had fun. It was a nice experience for me. It was but a bit like... They, I did a show called uh, Best Man Speech, which I know a lot of people out here love. Uh, <laughs> and it was just... But it felt like a bit thrown together. You know, it sounded like you were going to help people to write Best Man Speech, and they got a comedian in. And it's, you say, oh, that sounds like quite an interesting idea. But then they just did sort of stunts that didn't really... Sort of impro stunts with these guys that didn't really in any way help. <laughs> with it. but they were just meant to be good TV like a guy had to pretend he'd broken both his arms and persuade passers-by to help him make a phone call you know and yeah. you go this isn't any help for being the <laughs> best man this is not gonna help I kind of thought this might be cool. you know there was no mentoring there was no sitting down and working out how to do a best man speech it was just a load of stupid things and then they did a best man speech at the end but it was a bit like that wasn't it? you had to do you had yeah, to perform I, in odd places we had to perform in odd places like right Liverpool material, yeah. Uh, no, we no. The Liverpool gig was great. What we had to do was weird tasks, like find someone called Michelle in Liverpool because of the Beatles song. So it was just comics wandering around, going, "Michelle, Mish, is there a Michelle? Is there a? like?" So it was like, and you didn't get to see half the stuff that was fun. Like we went to meet this woman who who had a restaurant, and we talked to her about making scouse. You know, like and 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 those kind of fun bits. We were in a hair salon for one of them, and me and Ellie went off and had our feet nibbled by those creepy fish. You know, like they didn't show any of the those kind of bits. Um, so it was, or any of the bits where we were all sat backstage just shooting the shit because comics are funny when they're together. So that was one of the funny things when we're sort of ripping each other a little bit or everyone's getting pissed off with Cole or, you know, <laughs> annoyed at Patrick for overrunning relentlessly <laughs> in a televised competition. But it's fine, whatever. Um, so, you know, like, though, th you kind of, like, sort of missed all the fun of that, really. So that, that was a shame, I think. Um, but obviously Stu was in it as well, and Stu's, you know, Stu's done well out of it. Ellie's done really well out of it, you know, and I... I think... Well, I think you'd have all done well anyway. You know, I don't think it... It's always just a risk doing those things. Well, it's like going into the jungle or doing anything like that. It's just the weighing up the risk of the, the good it can bring well, you versus the bad it can bring you. Well, do you think it was that risky, though? Because it's a show about being fun. Like, the yeah, point yeah. was being funny. In the jungle, it's like, how well can you handle eating testicles? Which, as yeah. we found out from Richard E. Grant, pretty well. Um, <laughs> but the point of this show, it didn't seem like that risky to do it because I was like, oh, you know... Yeah, um, yeah. Although some people... Just like someone said to me, what I loved about that show was that everyone is exactly how you expected them to be. So comics on the circuit, comics that did watch it and loved it was like, Cole was exactly how we expected him to be. Or like Patrick was, you know, everyone was pretty much themselves on it. Yeah, yeah. So, but I didn't think it seemed that risky at the time. But, you know, with hindsight, would I do it again? Actually, I would, because you know what? I played for the final, we did the Apollo... And that got watched by something like, you know, four million people live. 
And that was quite exciting to do that. And we got paid a fair chunk of money to do that. And we went on a little tour after. So it was, it was a good learning experience yeah, for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, stand you've been do, you know, you've been doing stand up now for the, so like a decade and a bit more, decade and a half. Yeah, really. thirteen years. Yeah, yeah, so it's you know, it's a, it's a really hard thing to get into now. It's a really hard thing to get your head above that parapet and get people to see you. So it's there's so much competition now, which when I started there wasn't. You know, there is there was maybe fifty comics who would go to Edinburgh when I started, and now you go to Edinburgh, there's a thousand comics in Edinburgh. Yeah. So you've got to find your way to to stand out. And you know, and I know you've talked about this a lot, but you know, there's, there's, you, you, you were involved in. Uh, we had London Hughes on the other week. who was talking about how her uh, travel show with uh, Whoopi Goldberg didn't get greenlit. Yes. And you, you, you were quite vociferous about about <laughs> how there's a lot of male-led travel shows, and there aren't very many uh, female-led travel shows. Well, there many. was one, Sue Perkins. Yeah. Of comics, of comics, and then people kept messaging me saying Joanna Lumley, and I'm like, but. Is she a comic? No. Judith and Chalmers. Judith Chalmers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But literally, that's what I was getting. And I often, actually, I do wonder if I spoke like Joanna Lumley, I'd have a life like Joanna. I do wonder that. <laughs> then maybe I could be in a hot spring with some monkeys. How lovely. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like... I feel, I, I feel like it was one of those things where I just... Every now and then, an inequality... It's, someone's really enjoying Joanna. <laughs> Can't let that go. Someone in the dark has made it sound vaguely creepy. Um, how lovely. Uh, so I think there's something. I, 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 <laughs> Might be a monkey, I think. I mean, I a monkey thing net last something for me. <laughs> Um, if I see an inequality, I speak up about it. And then I'm like, sometimes that probably costs me. You know, there is a cost to being the one who shouts about a thing and then you shout about it and then they go, shit, we better sort that out. But don't give it to her because she wouldn't fucking shut up about it. You know, so sometimes I do wonder if there, if that, if there is a cost. Like I had a, a show that we pitched as sort of Mira Sial, which was just, you know, first up going to Frida Kahlo's Blue House in Mexico and then just following interesting women around the world like and um and I was like I I know loads of people who would like to watch that and Mira's really interesting and funny and I just thought that perspective is not really shown women have very different travel experiences to men like we know that that's not you know we've seen every version of man traveling that is possible to to do <laughs> So how about just a few women? That was all that we saw. And I know in America for late night, a lot of the female comics felt like that. They were like, you've got five jimmies before you'll give a woman a go. Um, and then you'll start shipping them in from the UK. Like, when are you going to give a, a woman a shot at late night? So I just, I think that the more diverse it is, the more interesting it is. That's all it is. It's as simple as that. Like, even on a panel show, the basics say, if you've got four white men of the same age, of the same... But background and sexuality that the, like their opinions are gonna it's, it's hege, hegemonical is that the word I'm that looking for? That sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know like it just it's just not as interesting whereas all of a sudden you throw another voice in and it's you know I did a mock the week with Angela Barnes and that was the first time I've been on that show with another woman and guess what we didn't have one single joke that was the same because we're not the same people. But, like, the idea of having two of us is if we're going to sync up and, like... <laughs> like, sync the... Get more cushions in! Like, I know, like... 
what do they think is going to happen? I don't know. I, it just, it, it, it's frustrating. And then I feel like if you're not, if there's women coming through now, what hope is there for them if we're not there kind of shouting, going, make this better, guys. Come on, try a bit harder. And it's taking too long. It is, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, you know, and this is me only looking for a, a positive this, and I completely agree with you. I think if you have to struggle to get somewhere, if you have to, if you have to fight to get somewhere, I think you become better at what you do. And, you know, and that's the only positive of it, I think, is that, that I think there are now a hell of a lot of very, very strong female comedians, partly because you just have to keep on battering at the door and you have to get better and better. And if you have to be better than an equivalent male comedian would be to get on TV, then hopefully in the end that will, you know, even tip things the other way. I mean, it's not much of a... Yeah. It's, it's not much of a... <laughs> but well, it's, I do think that we have to be undeniable. We have to be undeniable. And I think... Sometimes what happens, and this is one of the only sort of plus sides, is that the men get arrested development, so they don't get to grow. If they get their chances really early, some of the younger male comics that then don't sort of explore as comics. They get success with this one thing, then they have other people writing for them, and we all know those comics, yeah. you know. All their material ends up getting written, they're on TV, you don't really know what their voice is or their point of view or what they're passionate about, but, you know, they, they become big, and that way they're... The, the creativity of it and the art of it and everything else doesn't really get to grow. So from that point of view, being held back sometimes just forces you into like kind of finding all the ways that you can make it work. Yeah, and I saw you in an interview talking about how, you know, it's, it's a lot of comedians will sit back and complain, a lot of male comedians will sit back and complain about not being on TV, but they're not going out and writing new sets, they're not going out to Edinburgh and trying new stuff. They've got their stuff that works in the clubs, maybe, and then they, they're not expanding beyond that. Yeah, there so was a comedy store person that I was sort of chatting to, comedy store comic, who was like, I wouldn't go and spunk my money in Edinburgh. And I was like, cool. I mean, you'll never be one of the greats. <laughs> and that didn't go down well. <laughs> um, but I believe that. I mean, sure, fine, carry on doing what you do. If you're happy with this, then great. But like, you'll never be one of the greats unless you've gone in and done that going in, doing the hour every night, doing the hour when two people turn up and it's like having sex with someone that you've fallen out of love with and you're like, this is happening, but neither of us wants it. You know, like, like those experiences are the experiences that shape you and, and make you a great comedian. So sure, doing, you know, ripping it at the, at the store in front of 400 people is nice and it's great, but you know, it, that you'll never, you, you'll never be one of the greats if that's the only way you want to do it. I used to have a joke about um, when people complain about equality because there was like, you know, it's, I said it's easier, you know, now being a, a female comic because, you know, they used to have one of us on a panel show at a time, uh, two on the radio if one's a lesbian. <laughs> and, um, and then people would say, oh, like, because the new head of the BBC, I think, had just this was a few years back, was a woman, and people were going, it's PC gone mad, it's PC gone mad. And I was like, it's not, it's just, you know, statistically, she's less likely to be a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't afford any more of those in television. So, you know, 
And I get the reason I thought about that the other day is because of all these sort of pop stars now. <laughs> like we're retrospect as if we didn't know Michael Jackson was creepy. Like, but we are sort of coming out going, oh God, R. Kelly, Michael Jackson, you know. And I'm like, how about just giving some love to the women that have had none of, haven't been accused of rape or touching kids? That would be, you know. So just from that reason alone, <laughs> just sort of fill it up with some more women. You've got less chance of going. This thing happened in the 80s, and then there was an NDA. <laughs> you're, you're a bird watcher. I am. Yeah. <laughs> what a segue, Richard. Okay. I'm a little bit of a twitcher. In yeah. fact, there was a bird, and I, d- <laughs> I just just as I got back to the house tonight, there was a bird outside the house, and I swear it was saying boobies. And then my fiance went, "Do you reckon it was a it was a blue tit?" Um, <laughs> But it was, uh, it was like, boobies, boobies, <laughs> boobies. I was trying to work out what it was. Um, but I like birds of prey, so yes, I do like... If I'm, dr- if I'm driving along the A40, I'll often see the red kites, and then my other half will panic and go, could you not, like, drive whilst... <laughs> you know, like I've been doing... Like, and there's why like, I get overexcited. Like, I once called an owl a fat prick because I got really overexcited. <laughs> I saw it in a tree, and I was like, look at that fat prick! <laughs> I like the fact they can turn their heads as well. (laughs) Yeah, so I I would say I am a twitcher, but like not in a way that would professionally. um, I I was. Got anything to say about this, mate? Not she's not canon. (laughs) That's not a proper bird watcher. Birds of prey. No, not interested in that. Um, I did. uh, I did. I did say to Ed Byrne when I was tour support for him, I was like, oh, I, um, I quite enjoy a bit of twitching. And he went out the next day and bought like these £2,000 binoculars that no one knew how to use. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went and sat in a hide and like pretended that we... There's a hen harrier. Like I spotted a couple, but it was, you know... It's, it's a thankless task, so sometimes it's easier to just look up pictures of ones you like on the internet and go, <laughs> that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Get a canary. Go there, there's one. I could. Have I, it in a cage. There's I a bird. I can't do that because my cat would like rip it to shreds. And my cat is. I gave my cat a pep talk the other day. Am I weird? I feel like I'm too mean to him a lot of the time. So the other day I was like, oh, you're a good cat. You're good. You're good at stalking and hunting and trotting. He trots along. <laughs> Call him Leon Trotsky. Trots, I, you're, good, you're a good boy. Very good at hunting, yes. And you, though, when you get those mice and you kill them, you're very good. And then I realised it's kind of like giving a pet talk to a serial killer, really, isn't it? Like, what am I doing? But I felt bad. Because <laughs> I'm mean to him a lot. It's all right. Well, you're in a safe environment here. You're not the maddest person on this stage. It's okay. <laughs> I, I should point out, like, when I say mean, I'm not abusive to my cat. <laughs> if anything, my cat is abusive to me. Like, as in, that I caught him cheating on me. I saw him in the window of someone else's house. <laughs> I'd gone for a jog and I came back and there he was, sat on their windowsill. <laughs> and then he rolled over on his back like I was... I knew it, right, because his breath smelled of tuna. <laughs> and we only feed him dry food. <laughs> so he's been going elsewhere to get the sweet, wet yeah. tuna. That's what happens if you if you're holding holding out at home. 
Those cats are going to go. <laughs> they go elsewhere. They go elsewhere for the their vet fish. said dry was better. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what's, I was making a horrible sex joke in my head. And then. But the vet said dry food is what's helped because he's, he's chunked out. Like, I don't want to fat shame him. But a few weeks back, he was sat on a post in the garden and he was just spilling over it. Like, he'd really <laughs> underestimated arse to fence post ratio. And he just, yeah, he was. Um, but he's also just, he'll smack you. He's a real dick. Is he? Yeah. Like, have you got a cat? I've got a cat. We used to have two. Well, we used to have. We we've actually lost uh, one this week. Um, you know, like d- to death. <laughs> I was about to say. No, we haven't just <laughs> displaced it. But it was. It was sort of ours, but it wasn't ours. We had two uh, in in London, and one of those had to be put down for just not being pretty enough. Uh, (laughs) She was lovely. She was lovely, but she unfortunately... uh, We we adopted two cats from uh, Battersea Dogs and Cats Homes, but they they were both both really lovely, but they've been bred into bread and were, you know, um, had problems. Smithers, I mean, if I... The white one's still alive, Smithers. Lino was the one I liked, who's, who's... Who's dead? Lino. Lino, like, because she had like a lion's mane. Yeah. Um, and I wish that Smithers had died. <laughs> then when we moved, uh, if I had to choose, if I had to choose between the two, like, if I could have them both alive, that's fine. But if one of them had to die, Smithers, no question, no, no thinking about it. I've done the same with my kids. It's fine. <laughs> Just be prepared. When we moved house, the people who were buying the house from said, we've got a cat with the house, but we can't take it to the new house. Do you want to have the cat or we'll have to have it put down? Wow, that's not really so. a choice, is it? <laughs> so, uh, so we but t- weird that they put that on you, <laughs> yeah. rather than going, we're horrible murdering <laughs> bastards. So we said we'd take the cat. It seemed quite nice, but then it was really freaked out by everyone moving, and we had loads of work, building work done in the house. So we gave the cat to our my, my parents-in-law to look after, and they ended up looking after that cat. So it was kind of our cat, but then when the vet rang up and said the cat has to be put down, I go, "Yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cat I don't know that we've kept alive for two extra years. So you know, in a way, am I a hero? That's what I'm saying." <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. For literally doing nothing. So I've got one cat called Smithers and he's a dick. Right, so he's a dick. Is he an outdoor cat? He started going outdoors, now we're in the countryside. So he was completely indoors, except for one time when he just jumped out of a window. (laughs) And luckily there was a kind of roof that he then landed on and fell off. He just took a punt and thought, let's see what happens if I jump out of the window. (laughs) He's stupid. Um, with he's very, zero agility by the sounds stupid. of it. So he literally jumped onto the kitchen roof and fell onto the floor. Uh, but now he's still, we've got a cat flap in the house. He goes, he goes out into the mm. garden. My cat has taken to waiting for me to open the door. Again, I think it's a weight thing because he can't... He can, but he just doesn't want to. So he'll just... He can get in and out because when we're not there, he does it. But he's a right little fucking... You know, he's at it like... <laughs> I want to. Uh, and then I've got to go and open the door and let him out. And he... Is he also bring, just bring dead things back? Because most no, cats... No, no. Oh, and he's you not, live in the country as well. He's not agile well. enough to get anything. See, mine brought back once... Um, I'd been away for a few days and uh, my mum had been in to look on him and then obviously not, like, got it the day before. But I went to the living room and I was like, what is that smell? And he had got a rat... 
and it was hidden under the table. And I had a bit of a panic. I didn't know what to do because the other half was away. So I didn't want to move it. So I just lit some candles around it. <laughs> <laughs> like a weird Santeria kind of <laughs> sacrifice. And then my friend Paul Byrne had to come around and just kind of dispose of it. But it was really, I was like, oh, I won't deal with that. I just, which is sort of how everything happens in my house. If I spill a thing, I go, and then my other half will go, fucking hell, it's like living with a child. <laughs> just do the th Could you not just clean that up? We have one of those little hoovers because he's six a lot, he's long haired. And so sometimes we'll, you, you go, please, anywhere but the carpet, and then you've got to get it. You can't get a rat into one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, liquid, liquefy it. And, but yeah, you forget that they're just they're predators, and they just. I mean, there was one time he brought a starling in. I think it was a starling, and it was it was actually April Fool's Day. About four, Paul, can you confirm how many years ago? No. Okay. I thought you were talking you to the dead then, Paul. I'm getting a Paul. <laughs> I can hear him too. Did that up our relationship <laughs> did you hear just how fucking stoic and scottish that was <laughs> don't bring me in just do your little fucking story <laughs> um can you, <laughs> can you guess how many years ago it was paul four maybe four oh, okay so about so he responds yeah. to blokes this yeah <laughs> like a bbc commissioner <laughs> So we were we were in bed and we he woke up screaming and I thought someone was being stabbed and it was so hot because like coming around, like waking up but not being awake just hearing screams yeah so I started screaming so I woke up screaming <laughs> and there was something else screaming and it was a starling that the cat had bought it had it in his <laughs> mouth so that so that was obviously what triggered Paul's screaming <laughs> so it was like this ah! so he woke up and then there's just like three of us screaming and the cat just drops the birds up what like and it was like i thought it was gonna have a heart attack it was actually horrific and then paul had to like it was in a bad he had to pan its head in anyway um which it wasn't gonna survive and there's a real Did it have to be a pan <laughs> I, there's a real there's a real like nonchalance which he has and i think that's being a country scottish boy that he's just like just deals with it and I cannot like my city girlness just cannot handle he's just like right I'll deal with this <sighs> I mean it was necessary but <laughs> did you have to look like that nonchalant about it you know like uh, maybe if he lets that get to him he can he wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it but it's just um birds are the worst though we've had birds in the house because they used to come down the chimneys in our new house but we've had them blocked up now so they can't just put caps on so they can't get down but we had like three or four times birds got in one of them got in while we weren't living there and died in the attic so i just had to take it but they, they're it's they're scarier dead than they are alive they're scary alive as well but like, yeah, to, I was—I had to pick up this crow, and then you just think it's gonna come. You know, you think it's gonna come alive and get you. Yeah. And it's just like you touch it, it goes. Ah, ah. So I managed to get that one down. We had t at least two that have been flying around the house. Is there a word for bird phobia? Someone. Yeah, it's bird know it. bird phobia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sure. it's aviophobia. You're just making that up, Rich. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I thought someone might know ornophobia, maybe. Oh. No. Okay. 
Does anyone know the word for bird phobia? Wow, they're thick. They got thicker, my audience. <laughs> uh, as this has gone on. In the first couple of series, you just said that five people would have shouted out. Yeah, okay. Someone would have at least, this guy's going to go and look it up. <laughs> Maybe he's afraid of people talking about being afraid of birds. That's the, that's, that's the real phobia. Do you think that's probably Hitchcock that's done that? No, think? they're fucking cre- They're scary as fuck. They're dinosaurs. They're little tiny dinosaurs in your house. Get back to the Neolithic times. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, I, <laughs> also, they um, I had my car because I I got a convertible. Ooh, um, the other day there was a shit on it, and I swear it must have been a pterodactyl. Like the size of it, the the volume. It was. I was like, how has this come out of the sky, out of a thing? I don't know how. Might be the squirrel. Squirrels do big shits. Do they? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I haven't really they're... looked into it. <laughs> But it didn't look like it wasn't round. They'd be like little pellets, right? Squirrel shits would be like pellets. This was like white, like wheat a bixie white. It was like the consistency was thick. Yeah, it was. It was me. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to pass it under the squirrels. I'd like to go around to female comedians' houses and put shit on their convertible. That's what you get for taking my space on Mock the Week. <laughs> hey, you're in Game Face, which I love. It's a fantastic uh, sitcom. Yes. With Roisin. Roisin. And you play, like, the ex, the new girlfriend of her ex. Yeah, for those of you that haven't or seen wife, it, now it? we'll have spoiled it for you. But, um, <laughs> no, but actually, quite, quite a lot of... Speaking of bird shit, I get shit on... Oh, it's true, yeah. <laughs> the maybe opening that's episode do. of that. There's, I fall over, I get shit on... I embarrassed myself and I, eventually I turned around to Roshi and I was like, mate, what did I do? Yeah. Because she wrote it like sort of with me in mind. So, but yeah, we're just about to start filming the second series actually. Great. I'm on it this week. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so great. Roshi just has this brilliant way of, of writing that is, it's really, really funny, but you also care. You really care about the characters. And she kind of reversed some of those tropes as well. You know, the idea that the wacky things happen to her character. She went, no, I'm going to put this all on the ex's new wife. So I'm the one that's constantly sort of fucking up. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, she's a genius. She's great. It's good. Well, I'm glad there's another series of that. Do you know when, when will that be out? Is that coming out? Uh, I think it's coming out August, September. Okay, that's good. Um, but uh, but I can't be sure. I mean, it's been a little while since we did the last one. But I think, if anything, I look younger. So, <laughs> be fine. Uh, yes. I mean, I've actually, I think Channel 4 has, like, commissioned, like, a bunch of women, actually. So, that's quite exciting. There's lots of new sitcoms and stuff coming out from female comics, which that feels like a positive step forward, I guess. I think, well, they're definitely, you know, obviously Fleabag and well, Catastrophes. Yeah. Sharon's been doing great work with stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it may be, you know, again, I think it's, 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 it suits maybe the, the female uh, comedians, the, you know. <laughs> just trying to stop myself saying something stupid. Uh, but, you know, it, it suits that kind of the... the, the 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 way females comedians minds work you know irrational and no it's maybe <laughs> just trying to think of a, a good way of saying this where do you mean sound like, like a narrative comedy well i think mean? it's just like i think panel shows are kind of harder for uh for female comedians to get into as they are because it's that sort of male combative thing which women can do but i, th- I but i think the chat the radio 4 
panel shows are generally more chatty and you know and less combative. And I think in, in getting something that allows a character to develop, I suppose is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think you know it isn't just about gag, gag, gag. Any of the, any of these things, they're very funny. It's more shows. nuanced. Yes. And I think like a lot, you know, a lot of those kind of male comedians couldn't write a sitcom. I think. So. No, but they still get given them. <laughs> um, like, literally, this is like, there's been a poll, there was a whole thing at ITV, wasn't there, recently, where they went, we're male skewed and we're not commissioning anything. And I think they're really trying now, driving to get people behind the camera and writing. And But I just think the, the opportunities need to, for development early doors, you know. Before I ever did stand-up, I wrote a script and we made a little taster. But after that, no one went, how can we develop Tiffany as a writer? How can we push her further along this path and maybe into writing and directing, you know, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm writing on a thing at the moment, which is quite a big Hollywood project, which I'm not allowed to talk about because I've been very much NDA'd up to the taint. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the first time I've written for someone that's not me and that's quite exciting, you know, and I've got my own pictures and things going out there, but like it's taken me to this point in my life to get the opportunities, I think, that the guys were just sort of getting in their 20s, which is, I guess, bittersweet. I don't know. It, I go, oh, it's great. I'm, I'm really pleased that it's happening, but I, I am still frustrated that that's how long it's taken to get to, yeah. just to get the things that, you know, script writing deals or whatever, or develop. A lot of the time, sometimes sitcoms are developed for male comics that haven't necessarily said they want to act or can do narrative writing, and they just give them <laughs> to them. So I feel like, um, but I think you know. I think a lot of it's the problem with uh, commissioning is that you know all the time I've been writing sitcoms again largely unsuccessfully to get them on. You know, people are you write something and they go, "Can we get this star in it? Can we get this person who's successful in something else?" And you kind of go, "Everything that's good, that's not how it works. They cast the right person and then it's better. You know, you don't go, let's put this person in the sitcom." Yes. You, you write a sitcom and then get let's get the best actor to be the person in the sitcom. So you know, and I guess the thing is, it's easy. The danger is someone looks well. You got flea, you got flea bag now. What are you worried about? You know. So that's the yeah. But hopefully the hopefully the lesson will be actually all these things are coming out. You know that are that are far superior to the stuff that's been been put been put out before. Uh, and hopefully the lesson is let's widen the brief and, and look for good writers as you know as much as anything. But, but female writers as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, those would be the positive steps. Or I'm having a lot of meetings, but, you know, I've just been in L.A., so meetings really are, you know, what do they mean? Someone will spend a bit of time <laughs> with you. That doesn't necessarily mean something will happen. But, like, last year, I think, I tried to get away a few... I didn't do Edinburgh last year, and I was sort of working on... I, I did a project with Gemma Arterton, and we made these kind of, like videos and in fact Mira was in them and uh, people like Lizzie Kaplan we made these little videos and I was sort of getting stuff away that I had kind of written and co-directed and stuff like that and that was exciting but then trying to get a couple of other things over the line that they just got almost to that point and then didn't happen and then actually towards the tail end of the year and this year like everything's like kind of gone but as you know, as someone who does this, I don't know how interesting this is. It's not particularly <laughs> funny. But you have to have about five plates spinning in the yeah. hope that you can keep one of them going and the rest might fall off. But, you know, sometimes you'll be like, oh, if all of these come off, I'm fucked. <laughs> um, um, and then you go, well, at least one of them. And then sometimes you go, oh, no, not one. 
not one. That got through to almost the final round of commissioning at Radio 4 or, yeah, we want to make a pilot and then a week before, nah, actually, no, you know. So, yeah. so actually, possibly there, there's a benefit now, I guess, at least to being of the female persuasion <laughs> that it might actually tip it towards towards going, but I, ju I just don't understand how it can be taking so long. I just don't. The thing is, it's so difficult for anyone, right? It is difficult for everyone, I think, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, to take down what you're saying because you're absolutely right, but it's, there's a lot of competition. There's increasingly a huge amount of competition. The tragedy is you get something on now and nobody watches it anyway. You know, you can get something made and nobody's watching it. Yes. You can get three series or something and no one knows it exists, sort of, you know, that really, in the, compared to the old days where five million people would watch a show, you know, yeah. there's, there's, you can easily have a have a long-running sitcom that 95% of the world have know nothing about. I think the exciting thing is now is that you're able to create your own ways into doing things and having yeah. a podcast or, you know, going, oh, I'm just going to go away and write this thing and put it on somewhere myself or, you know, um, and the Edinburgh Fringe has changed now in the way that you can do that as well. And it's m much more accessible because the other thing that I have a chip on my shoulder about, so less of a chip, more of a baked potato, is classism. <laughs> you know, like how working class people are able to get into the arts and how unaccessible it is for a lot of people, especially stuff like the Edinburgh Fringe, when you can come out owing £12,000. And most people, unless their parents are loaded, cannot do that. So I do think that with the internet and with these kind of like free fringe venues opening and stuff or pay what you want fringe it's it that it's kind of open that out in the best possible way because that's the only way you can get a meritocracy and that's what fucks me off when people talk about meritocracy comedy should be a meritocracy but it can't ever until the playing field is equal to start with and it's not equal there are benefits if you went to the right school. There are benefits if you come from money and you can afford to keep doing it for six or seven years without it actually paying off because your parents are fucking loaded. Like, so it's not equal to start. So until we have an equal playing field, then true meritocracy can happen. Then it will just be about who's the funniest, who's the best. We give them shows. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. I mean, that 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 thing about people, the, the having the money and having the parents of money is definitely what's happening you know because it's too expensive to come and move to a city and do it you know now whereas again in the 90s it, I, I had my rent was 60 pounds a week and i could get a job and have 60 pounds to myself for the week you know and, and, it was, and you probably and kind of came that. out of edinburgh with a bit of money anyway no but it was you, know, <laughs> you, you lost you lost a couple of grand maybe in those days but also because there was because there were so few comedians comparatively you had a pretty good chance of getting a job that would earn two thousand pounds in the year you know so you would but you know i certainly like the first 10 years of my career i broke even i was i managed to put down a deposit on a flat by the you know by the 10th year um and it was possible to buy a flat in those days in london uh but uh, you know it took 10 years to get to that point and that was quick still compared to most people so it's it's it's, it's got a lot worse but partly because more people are getting into it people think you can make millions of pounds a year out of it and you know it's it's for most people that's not the case no i don't even i don't even know how you would start anymore like that's the they do all these weird things whether you do a minute of stand up someone was telling me the other night um, they were working on the door of a of a, one of the clubs in the west end and they were saying like i've done a little bit but i'm trying to get back into it i want to go on this show where i do a minute and then judges tear it apart and i was like oh my god <laughs> like the only thing they had like that when i started i think was the gong show at the store yeah which i did which you had to get up and you, was it three or five minutes and if you didn't get gonged off 
then you would go through to the final and also not get paid. Uh, but like, but now I just the the opportunities are sort of reduced. But then on the other side is, if you want to be a comedian, you can be putting out your little Instagram videos, YouTube, yeah. and whatever else. Start building your own audience that way. In fact, it's more democratic from that point of view than it's ever been because people will go and you can have a podcast and it can be so niche. It can just be about like categorizing which type of bird shit is on the top of your car. <laughs> And millions of people will be interested enough to listen yeah. to that. I can't see anyone doing anything like that. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that sounds crazy. And you can start up your own club. I and mean, you've been involved, uh, you didn't start it, but you've been involved quite from the early days in Old Rope, which is a yeah. fantastic, again, a new material night, which is encouraged, you know, you're encouraged to do new material. There's a rope that hangs down that you, you have to hang on to if you're doing old material. You're not meant to be doing old material. And so that's it. every Monday you've been doing that for... Again, a long time. Probably about it? ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're going out and creating new material and and learning, you know you've improved so much. You were always you always had something there, but your stand up is like so much better than it was. <laughs> ten years ago. Like so much better, you know, like that. But that's yeah. it was good to start with. But it's but you found who you are, you know, and so it's and and it's just it's more. I think that you were taking a lot of chances when I first saw you, you were trying lots of different things. Yeah. And especially, in that, you know, I've seen your old rope and that is a new material. Right? And so you'd be taking chances, some of the stuff's not going to hit, but now I think your hit rate of taking chances is, 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 is way, way higher, you know. Well, thanks. Um, but um, I think it's also about kind of being me on stage. It was interesting, I watched the Gary Shandling documentary recently and he said a thing which I've been, sort of been saying for years. I'm like, it just doesn't really matter what I'm saying. If they buy me, then they'll buy the material. And by they, I mean you filthy audience. Uh, no, but like if, if, if I'm just me, if I'm being me and that version of me, it, it does matter what I'm saying because I want to do stuff that's interesting, funny, groundbreaking, challenging, all of that, right? But if I'm being the most version of me and that only comes with time and doing it and from taking risks because... Every time you fail, that's a massive leap forward. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a really important way of looking at it. And I remember seeing people like Paul Foote, I think, when I first started doing Old Rope, and I never saw anyone fly harder or die harder than Paul Foote. <laughs> like, he'd come out with an idea, and I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he'd do three minutes on the moistness of cake and how it had it own, its, its own precipitation system within the cake, and how your host would be upset if you didn't mention it was very moist. And it was just, and I can't do it justice because I'm not Paul, but like it, it was so, so funny. But I would also see him do stuff that was so terrible. But I, I think you can only be amazing if you're willing to risk it not working at all. And I guess that it's, it was a hindrance and a help when I first started doing it because I probably had eyes on me when I was very Yeah, new. But, and it's the same thing. You know, you're exactly right. Paul Foot could do that and people weren't going, oh, it's because he's a man. He's not, you know. So you, yeah, you, you immediately have that expectation that peop, you are aware people are kind of going, okay, you're going to have to impress me because I'm not sure. And so you're taking those chances. They can go, yes, see, I was right. Whereas with Paul Foot he would just carry on and no one would say that. You get the benefit of, of the doubt. That's what I used to say about it. Like, you, as a woman, you'd have to go out and within about 30 seconds to a minute, you'd have to... And it's not like this now, but you'd have to hit, especially in the club gigs, within the first minute, if you didn't say something great, then they would be like, no. Whereas most of the guys would come on and you'd be give three, four minutes grace before people would go, shit, get off, <laughs> you know. Whereas for, for women, there was definitely this kind of 
I feel like a, I feel like it's changed a lot actually in a in a positive way. I feel like so many more. There was always women coming out to see comedy, but I feel like now, like women are coming out and they want to see their lives. They want to hear stuff that they can relate to, and that doesn't mean my comedy isn't for men because it is. You know, like love my dick, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but you know, like I I am. It's, it's, I think it's nice. I think that's like in the last few years, there's been a real thing of like, I know at the comedy store, for example, that if there's not a woman on the bill, it gets brought up. So yeah. even Don, who used to run strip clubs, <laughs> like that's, that's where you have to kind of remember where the comedy store started, is now like, should we get some women on the bill? Because people want to see that and like, otherwise it might affect money. Like, and, and it has, sometimes it has to be like, that's a capitalist. It has yeah. to be almost like, to be proven to to work in that sort of way, you know. But I think that he needs to see that, that pe the audience are requesting it and that they're into it. And then he'll be like, ah. Oh. And I think they had an all-female bill, actually, at the Comedy Store for yeah, International did, yeah. Women's Day. Yeah. And one day a year is fine. So... <laughs> one day a year. As long as it's not on International Men's Day. As when long is as that, Rich? As long <laughs> as they'll have a whole group of men. They would never do that, would they? Never have all men. They wouldn't be allowed... They wouldn't even be allowed to have the day. That was sterling work, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's just so annoying. <laughs> but you raised a fuck ton of money. I know, well, that's the only good thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the terrible thing about it because I have to carry on doing it now. Yeah. You're so, locked into it forever. So, it's so hor it's so horrible. The last year, when the first year we raised money for it, it actually felt really good. And then this year it was back to, oh, this is just horrible. It's so it's just digging. You're locked in. into a relationship with people who yeah, don't know how to people. do a basic Google. And just well, and just worse people, everything the people who do it are, are just the worst. It's good. <laughs> I enjoy it. I love I love just being an annoyance. It's lucky in it. What? Shut up. <laughs> Don't need your approval. <laughs> the, the people at the back are being very mouthy, aren't they? <laughs> no. Well done. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> That's all I wanted, mate. That's all I wanted. Sorry, I feel like I've been like serious. And I know, it's been good. It was really funny. And the world has turned upside down. It has. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't caught... I, I did say to Rich backstage, if I'd have caught, like, a producer-director knocking one out on set, it would be a very different... <laughs> ...tone to the story. <laughs> I think it would have quite the same joie de vivre about it. <laughs> um. Right, look, I'll ask you... Let's ask some emergency questions. OK. See what comes up. It'll be something disgusting. I don't know, just... There aren't hardly any disgusting questions in here, but they also seem to... What's your favourite anagram? Oh, uh, what's my favourite anagram? Should so I tell just you what's my, my favourite word? No, what your favourite anagram? My favourite word anagram is car, horse, and orchestra, and an anagram of each other. Oh, oh, I did. Oh, I've got a story about anagrams. Yeah. I once did. I got into. I've been trolled by the uh, maga hats and the Pepe frogs and stuff because I did a tweet. Candice Owens said something about like feminism was cancer or something. Did some tweet. It was sort of about the Brett Kavanaugh thing and was like, they're ruining everything and men aren't allowed to be men. And I quote tweeted it and said, um, uh, Candace Owens is actually an anagram of internalised misogyny. <laughs> and the replies of people going, you don't understand what an anagram is. <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't understand what a joke is, so that's the problem there. Like, someone said something like, um, oh, God, what was it? Like, sp Spaceman? Someone sent me an example of an anagram, and I just sent it back with your whatever. Um, <laughs> like, it, it was so childish. But yes, I got... And then she tweeted me back, and everyone was like, you're owned. You're one of those jealous feminists that never got any attention, so therefore you turn on a pretty woman. And I was like, actually, self-identify as a 10, so that's awkward. Um, LAUGHTER been in a Dizzy Rascal video. <laughs> Dizzy Rascal. But also, I actually got a lot of attention from men. That's partly the reason I'm a feminist, because I'm like, <laughs> fucking, get your dick away from me, mate. I don't want it pressing into my back on the tube. So that, but uh, yeah, so there's my anagram story. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it worked out well. Have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? I feel like I have, but I was very young, so I probably didn't. I probably just imagined it. But I definitely saw someone hovering at the end of my bed. Again, sounds like another <laughs> mid-two story. I kind of wish... I, I used to have a routine about this, but I always wish, like, when people talk about ghosts, it's always someone who died in, like, 1606 or something. It's always, like, headless horsewoman or something. It's never someone who died in 1990 pilled up at a rave. <laughs> Just glow-sticking at the end of your bed. <laughs> like, that's... Because people die in all kinds of ways. You just never see the people that die in that sort of way. So that's why I don't believe. Yeah. That when they do a Most Haunted and they have the raver on. <laughs> or they have your cat reason. that was just yeah. the one that you didn't like. Yeah, like the a, there must be a... Apparently in America, like I came up with this as an idea for a comedy character on a little Radio 4 skit, that I had this woman called Brenda who was a pet psychic. And she would get in touch with like your dead hamster or a parrot or whatever. And then I had people doing like testimonials for pet psychics for you. And I was like, isn't that hilarious? And then when I was in LA, there's fucking pet psychics. <laughs> of course there are. There's every there's a crystal shop on every street in LA. Like they believe in fairies and magic, and that's what makes it amazing, but it also it is batshit. That pet psychics. Palm readers. There's a lot of palm readers just like shop fronts in, in New York and LA, just like yeah, it's, have you well, ever had your palm read? I have not. I, I was going to be a masturbation joke there. Okay. I just realised. Yeah. Palm and red. Palm red. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's never gone red. <laughs> um, <laughs> the cock sometimes. <laughs> um, no, I did. I was a. I was actually. I was always quite superstitious and worried about. You know, I was actually sort of quite scared because I was brought up as religious, and you know, it took a while to shake it off. Even though I lost my religion quite young, so I nearly went and did tarot cards a few times, and then I kind of decided I was, you know, I didn't want to meddle with those sort of things, you know, which is pathetic. But now I wouldn't do it just because I think it's a waste of. 50 pounds and 20 minutes <laughs> for someone to tell me to, to have a guess or what they think is going to come up next but I, not even give me specifics they, I was in LA and she asked me a lot of questions and I was like well if I just tell you everything then you're going to tell me <laughs> everything I've just told you back to me so she was like I feel like you should do stand up comedy in New York and I was like cool <laughs> that was like but after her finding out that I do stand up comedy yeah. for a living so there wasn't really anything exciting in it, but you know, I just thought she needs the twenty quid. Let her have it. <laughs> I'm. Uh, that was like a donation, give a donation. But also, it was my friend who was with me, Elaine. She's from Boston, and she just like hold like takes no prisoners. And she was like, I'm not fucking watching this. Just walked off. Because <laughs> she was like, it's too much bullshit. Um, so yeah, I I've I've not seen a ghost, but 
Oh, actually... Oh, apart from the hundreds well, of ghosts I've seen I've an seen. apparition. Oh, well, okay, well, that's fine, yeah. I can understand why that didn't spring to mind. <laughs> I'm no, it was... I've seen like an apparition of a dead person <laughs> floating around. No, 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 not, not a dead person. Okay. I, did four sh I did four gigs on Saturday night. And what happens is, after you do your third, Hal Cruttenden appears... Uh, as an apparition, he's definitely not dead. He's most definitely alive. Um, and that is a great joke if you know the comedy scene just about when I started, because Hal Crutton <laughs> would do about eight gigs a night. And he'd be like, how could this work? Turns out it doesn't. Uh, just everything runs late and it's Hal sweating and panicking turning up at a show. He's brilliant. He's very funny, but he did used to do a lot of gigs. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you got to do it. Right, we'll do one more. That's the worst stuff. You sat on Annie Lennox's knee. I did, again. Uh, that was, I was very young when that happened. Uh, six or seven. My dad used to manage Wembley Stadium as a kid. Can't he get you a gig at Wembley Stadium? Probably could. Yeah. I don't think enough people would show up. <laughs> Still be I good mean, to do it, wouldn't it? Huh? It'd still be good to do it. It would be good to just to wander around people. just four, four. <laughs> Thanks. I get more than four, Rich. Jesus. Um, no, I would love to do Wembley, actually. Paul Chowdhury did Wembley Arena recently, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. You know, so um, if Paul Chowdhury can. Uh, but no, I think I think it would it would be fun to do that. But yeah, I met, I met like Freddie Mercury and I met like my dad did Live Aid. So I met a lot of that. I met a lot of people like that as a kid and subsequently was not very impressed by anyone. And then also my dad like kind of lost his job and then all of the people that were sort of friends with us at that time just sort of disappeared. Right. Um, like it's sort of mad. Like my mum's from a very working class family and Romany gypsies. Um, and then my dad is, my dad's family is sort of rich Scottish Presbyterians. Um, so they never really should have got together, but you know. <laughs> They're in a mixed class relationship. And um, so it's interesting. I get to see kind of both sides of that. But yeah, the the um, the thing that sort of, it, it's very telling when sort of all of a sudden someone has a position of influence or power and then people don't want to know you and you don't have that position of influence and power. May, probably made me quite jaded and cynical at a, a young age. Also, I'm not really impressed by anyone. <laughs> Although I did have a photo of Richard E. Grant backstage and I looked very overexcited. But generally, as a rule, like, I always like to, if I'm going to meet someone like Annie Lennox, that wouldn't have happened at seven, but I, was, I, I like to meet someone and they know who I am and what my achievements are. That's the ideal scenario. I don't want to look like some snot in the room going, <laughs> famous person. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I hope for that. So I hope when I was seven, Annie was aware that I'd done some amazing <laughs> macaroni pictures. <laughs> she'd heard of my... <laughs> that bit you'll probably cut out, won't you? No, I won't. That was, that was good. I mean, the audience disagrees, so... <laughs> I don't care about them. We just, we just put canned laughter over the top. <laughs> just some my bits. <laughs> it's going well. Didn't ask me for a quote for the back of your book. I didn't. You hadn't been on the show then. Hmm. Do you want to give me a quote for the back of the book? I'll write it in. <laughs> These questions are fucking weird. <laughs> How no. about... Oh, that's Christmas. I don't want to ask you a Christmas one. I'll ask you, what is the biggest animal whose life you have saved? What a, what a lovely question. Why couldn't I ask that to Richard E. Grant? Probably, he's probably saved a leopard or something, hasn't he? In, what, in, in Swaziland? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I've ever saved the life of an animal. 
Wow, you're horrible. Well, <laughs> technically I save the life of my cat every day by feeding it. Yeah, that's true. And housing it. And I saved the life of a big Scottish man by <laughs> have you ever feeding swerved, and housing. Have you ever swerved to avoid a, an animal in the road? Oh, uh, a woodpecker. Really? Yep. So, oh, and a muntjac. I nearly what? There you go. Hey, there, go there you go. I have saved. Like. I was weirdly driving onto the North Circular near where I live at Muswell Hill, and one just like sprung out of nowhere, looked at me, and it was like black ice on the road. So I nearly smashed my car, but that little fucker was all right. It's very noble of me. Uh, in so yeah, London, on the North Circular. Yeah, a muntjac. Wow. And I only recently, I really enjoy saying it because I only recently found out that's what they what they are. I just thought it was a deer, but I was like, no, it's a muntjac. They've got no tail. Right. Okay. We've got loads of deer near us. They, run, they when they're all together, it's like a river of animals running through the forest. It's beautiful. And sometimes they run up the road as well. So they jump out. I might hit one tonight. But I've, I've killed a few. You're not, you're not allowed to uh, take them home if you kill them, but you, if, you're you behind, if, to... if you're behind someone who does, you can have that. Oh, really? Yeah. Because my... Oh, because then otherwise it looks like you've hit them on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. My, my sister and my brother-in-law live in the New Forest, and I think that's what happens. That's what happens there. That if they have to sort of move, there's ponies and yeah. horses just cutting about. What I did notice is that on one side of the road... The donkey, it's like the Bloods and the Crips. The donkeys stay on one side and the horses are on the other. I think, I think the, um, I think it's the, the donkeys are the Bloods. Is that the one with the teardrop? Was that, that the Crips? The teardrop means you've like committed a kill or yeah. you like mime. I don't know. One of those. But the, yeah, so they, but people hit deer and stuff like that. I've probably, I, I may be rescued. Oh, my mum once rescued... Uh, I can take some reflected glory for this. She once rescued a, a hedgehog. Well, I say rescued. It was stuck behind the fridge growling. I didn't know they did that. <laughs> Went into the kitchen. I was like, is this fridge broken? It was like... <laughs> and there was just a hedgehog behind it. So we took it outside and we saved that hedgehog's life. How did the hedgehog get behind the fridge? Someone must have put it there shortly. I think it just... <laughs> Something my dad did because he was pissed off at my mum. I guess you can I, roll them, can't you? That's the thing. You, can, you just kick it and then it can go in a little crevice. I think it climbed up the steps on the back doorstep and just went... Because the back of a fridge is warm, so I presume yeah. that's why it sort of went in there to kind of huddle away or whatever. But it's, the, it's the great irony of the fridge, isn't it? It is. You should put that on a fridge magnet. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, Tiff, it's been lovely having you here. And now you have to go away because I want to drive home to run over a deer. And I'm sorry I don't have pipe. any stories about directors wanking. I bet you do. Um, if you really rack your brains. Really got... Oh, God. Or oh, ghosts. Have you had, ever seen a ghost wanking? Ghost wanking? Yeah. Yeah, that's not ectoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's are you doing, Edinburgh? I am. Should New I talk show? about it? Will yeah. this come out before then or not? No. I think just about, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, I'm doing a show called Mother and I'm on at the Monkey Barrel at quarter past nine, I think, or thereabouts. And, and the poster is me pregnant with myself. Wow. Yes, quite mad. Like, I'm literally giving birth to myself as a 
the starting point is that none of us asked to be born. So we can at least, in this political climate of everyone disagreeing, we can all agree on none of us fucking asked to be here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's called Mother and it's going to, yeah. I mean, if I talk about it now, I'll make it sound so dry and unfunny. Uh, but it'll be good, I, I promise. And come will, you to that. Tour, will you tour it around the country afterwards? I will tour it, and I'm going to do it in the States as well. Um, wow, look at you. I have a cheeky little three-year visa. Yeah. Um, In internationally known, she is. <laughs> yeah, not internationally renowned. <laughs> uh, just known. Yeah. Internationally known. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll be, yeah, be touring that around and, and doing it. Um, yeah. If it, you know, providing it goes well in Edinburgh, come. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not selling it well in any way, shape, or form. But I do all right Edinburgh shows. Yeah, you do fantastic. You've done a few. You've done four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Be 15th. my ninth. Ninth, nine. Wow. Nine. Lucky number nine. Yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot, and um, some people would say why. <laughs> uh, mainly my partner of nearly twelve years, because he's like, can we just not go again? Uh, but I, d I didn't go last year. I did. I took Bombshell on tour, and I. I went, and that was, um, that was interesting. That was sort of a little bit about the left eating itself. So this, this one, I, 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 I want to talk about homelessness, why it makes it sound really unfunny. Um, but it, no, there'll be good stuff. I've also got some stuff about Ben Fogel in it. Okay. So, you know, come if you're interested in homelessness <laughs> and Ben Fogel um, and Jordan Peterson. Yeah, there'll be a few. There'll be a Hedgehogs few. behind fridges. Hedgehogs That's behind fridges. Yeah. Good. That's going in. Yeah, straight away. Oh, all of this material from tonight. <laughs> yes, I'm it's going in my show. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause. Tim Stevenson! Let's see you next week. How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>